Welcome back to the Cybersecurity Chronicles, the sequel uh, with Carter Schoenberg of Soundway Consulting. We had so many questions for Carter last time uh, that we asked him to join us again for some more questions to give us some more insight for the small and mid-sized businesses that are seeking to achieve uh, cyber maturity model certification or CMMC. Uh, Carter, thanks for joining us again today. Welcome back, Carter. Certainly, you were going to say something or ask something? Yeah, I was going to ask about, you know, you, 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 Carter, you talk about um, best practice versus all these compliance and regulatory issues. Um, in, you know, in my years of experience, when I start talking about, you know, these two aspects of the, ele- you know, in, in the risk management perspective, in particular, cyber risk management pr- perspective, a lot of business executive and the board of directors said, okay, well, wait, you know, you asking me to spend a whole bunch of money and I'm not, I don't even know what I'm going to be getting because it is a moving target, like I said earlier. Yep. How do you address that issue in a short and you know simple way to explain to our audience and then they can take that message back to the board of directors and approaching this subject matter and this subject in particularly in a very simple way to explain to the board of directors? I'll do my best to try to answer that and try to put it in a <laughs> I know it is it, that's why I asked you because yeah. you're the expert. We, of course, you know, we got to you know, keep practicing this and, you know, we having the similar type of issues and, and, and a lot to do with their patient as well. How much patient do they have to listen sure. to the answer? So when we actually provide consultative guidance to our, our, our client base, when we actually do that, so we will help them either amend or start from scratch, create their system security plan based on the maturity level that they are that they are seeking. And then obviously when there's gaps, you want to provide recommendations. Recommendations will basically be driving what is like an industry term called a POAM, a plan of action and milestone. Now, as a result of the plan of action and milestone, depending on who you're using, if you get a spreadsheet that says, here's where you're strong, here's where you're weak. And by the way, it's going to cost you a couple hundred grand to get there. There's not really a lot of knowledge transfer that allows to your point, a board of director to understand how do I take that technical threat, that technical cost, and translate it into a business justification. So where we've been fairly successful is making sure that we understand who our clients are, what types of business are they in, in this case, let's say government contracting, and take those technical threats and translate it into business risk. And without incorporating legal exposure, the legal liability as a result of things that we are identifying and the cost of ownership, that translation could be challenging at best. So I would say that it is going to be incumbent upon all technical and operational professionals within their organizations to have a better understanding. What government customers are they currently supporting? And what are the value of those contracts and what are you anticipating that you have on your radar to try to pursue from the next one to three years because if at the end of the day you have a business model where let's say you're taking in a million dollars a year 
in revenue. And then after you take out everything, um, you know, you have about, let's say $300,000 in earnings after you take out GNA fringe and cost of ownership to do the contract in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty hard pill to swallow. If you have somebody saying, well, you're going to need to spend $270,000 on this. (laughs) However, there are, approaches that can be leveraged where you know, it's the old adage, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? If you sit there and you try to advise a, a board of directors, here's the price tag and good luck. That is historically not been a recipe for success. <laughs> what we generally try to recommend is you come up with a, a strategic approach. You have tactics that can be accomplished and measured towards accomplishing that strategic vision and within each of let's say each 30 day uh, 90 day 180 day window you clearly advise what do you need to do first what's the rationale behind that and what are the associated costs either capex and or opex right and it's a lot easier for business owners and boards of directors to understand all right so it sucks to be me. I'm going to have to invest $270,000. But what you're telling me is, at least for these first 90 days, I'm looking at a cost of ownership of $17,000. And maybe some of these bigger ticket items I can at least properly budget for in the next six-month, nine-month, 12-month window. And then that allows them to at least have consensus on, one, do they really want to do this? And two, helps them get their operations in order to align with the budgeting requirements. Because again, once you're at level three, you have, it's actually one of the practices you have to be able to demonstrate as an organization, how do you properly resource for these controls? Mm -hmm. And we've, and we've been successful and oddly enough (laughs) to date, some of our best friends are actually the CFOs and organizations. (laughs) <laughs> nice to have those friends yeah. <laughs> absolutely so uh carter uh, a couple questions that i have um historically within the dod it's not been uncommon for somebody when a contract not have the right certifications to do certain things within the requirements of the contract but they go and get a subcontractor to help meet that certification requirement of the contract yep is any of the any of CMMC does it allow for any of that now for contractors primes to get subs that have certain things, uh, certain capabilities, certain certification levels for them to achieve it for themselves? Great topic. Uh, again, as I said at the onset, this is going to be an evolutionary process within CMMC. As it stands as of today's date, September 17th. <laughs> 2021. 2021. <laughs> the, the, basically, the rules of the road are that the prime has to be, at a minimum, the commensurate with the CMMC level of the solicitation. And it is generally believed that, and I'll give you an example, um, let's say that you have, we'll call it the Acme company and the Acme company has five subs, uh, ranging skill sets, so- socioeconomic boxes that can be checked to win the award. Mm-hmm. 
if the solicitation is at level three, it would be incumbent upon the prime to have enough knowledge base to be able to say, okay, based on the totality of the work, my five subs, contestant four and five, you are also going to need to be level three. One contestants, one, two, and three, just because of what we scoped out in our team agreement for what you're going to do. Right. We do not envision you're ever going to have access to control and classified information. And therefore you only need to meet the minimum requirement of level one. Now, academically that should work. What I don't believe that the government has taken into consideration is what is called the best athlete model, especially if you have an IDIQ. So if an IDIQ comes out and with that same scenario, I just highlighted a task order is issued, but because of the specificity of the task order, maybe contestant number two has the best athlete, but contestant number two is not a level three and that labor category is on that part of the project that is going to be required to be at level three. Well, then what do you do? And I think that that is going to be a challenge for the entire ecosystem until this all gets vetted out. I do think that there are some opportunities where the prime, depending on their appetite, could create an environment that is certified at level three and then their subs can basically enjoin in under that enclave. I think that that is an opportunity, but I also think that there is going to be opportunities for likely consolidation in the marketplace where that right. similar approach is implemented, where you have a, a, a parent company and a micro consortium, if you will, that could provide capabilities that its subs can't and then it would be dependent upon the terms and conditions between the subs and the prime of what is the value of that and how much of a tax am I willing to accept for you to be my prime in that capacity. Right. Right. So going back to your conversation about the uh, being a, having an incident, being a victim uh, and who you, what you are expected to do and who you're expected to notify. Um, in general, for our audience, if they're a small, mid-sized business and they are to have an incident like this and they hold a DOD contract and they're going to fall under CMMC and they have an incident, how appropriate is it, in your view, for them to contact CISA, which is a division of DHS? Um, well, what my thoughts are versus what executive order edicts are uh, is, is kind of irrelevant. I, I would say that there are now three pieces to the puzzle. So you have mm -hmm. defense, you've got CISA and another piece of this puzzle is insurance. Right. I, I was actually just a part of a, a recorded session with the insurance sector where if you have, cyber liability insurance for first and third party damages. Once that, what they call a harm trigger fires, right. they usually have what they call a panel, which is kind of like this invisible team, if you will, of forensics experts of um, breach notification coaches, uh, legal counsel. It's just generally included in, in your policy. Well, great. 
Um, is there anything that guarantees that they're U.S. citizens? Is there anything that a national agency check has been done on those individuals? So I would probably say that there is going to be a need. And with that need always comes an opportunity on how to right. improve the communication between the affected party and those that are going to be there to help them re- respond and recover. And also their obligations to notify right. CISA as well as the, the department of defense. I don't particularly have any issues with CISA being one of the named parties to notify. Uh, I think it's actually a great opportunity for more data to be collected in a way that hopefully CISA can kind of create in the future, an annual report that's not too dissimilar from the Verizon annual security report. Right. Where they can break all the information down in a way it anonymizes to protect the, the victims and also adds value to be able to show to CMMC accreditation body and the government at large based on the types of incidents that have occurred out of, and again, I'll pick on level three, where there's 130 practices, maybe practice 45 is no longer in play. Maybe Mm -hmm. we should replace that or we should tweak that particular practice in a way based on the data that we now have, just as the insurance sector is now changing what they are asking their applicants, because now there's a lot more data coming in and with the velocity and the volume of the payouts, the yep. the insurance sector is taking them the teeth. I just saw something that came out in the Wall Street Journal not too long ago that the total amount of premiums that the insurance sector is getting for cyber liability, yep. they burned through 73% of that <laughs> last year. Yep. Which is why we're seeing significant increases in, in premiums. But uh, I do think that the instant response process is a unique challenge for commercial enterprises at large. We consistently see when we are asking the question, can you please show us your incident response plan? And they provide us a disaster recovery plan. Not the same thing. There are some nuances that might be similar, but they are not, they are not the same thing. They're not designed to be the same yeah. thing. And that's that's one of the top things that we see. Also, CMMC, where a lot of people are, not only say a lot of people, but there's been discussions of they're continuously kicking the can, so therefore we have more time. But the outlier there is that as of like November 1st of last year, organizations that have a specific DFAR clause are required to upload a right. attestation score for eight, how, how they conform with 800-171. I literally just had a, a phone call, video call with uh, a former colleague of mine, very, very intelligent, very, very business knowledgeable, and signed off on you know checks and balances with the prime saying, oh yeah, I do this. <laughs> and they're about to get an award and he's like going, oh my dear God, I thought this was literally just another checkbox exercise. <laughs> I had absolutely no, oh my God. And I'm going, yeah, well, you know, you know, unfortunately you're not alone. And I do think it should be a, a wake up call for 
the entire government contracting community where if you rely upon what has been communicated by the Department of Defense previously, you are asking for trouble. And what I mean right. by that is you don't need to be certified to submit. You only need to be certified at time of award. Well, let's, right. l- let's look at mm-hmm. the data. The data supports that on average, it takes from the time that they have the cutoff for a due date for submission to the time of award is about 120 days. <laughs> even if we even if we operate under the assumption of what we've been told, where a level three to get yourself from here to there is about a six-month window, which I do not agree with at all. But even if that is factually accurate, you've got uh, a couple months delta between what they're That's saying right. you need to do and time of award. So I, I do think, though, even that right now it is clearly being advertised that your score is not going to be used as an evaluation criteria mm-hmm. for for determining I think it would be naive to think that at some point in the future, especially as we have continued delays on CMMC certification, if you've got five people all jockeying for the same position and you have one with a score of 110, one with a score of like 94 and one with a score of 32 to think that the acquisition workforce isn't going to look at 32 and go, "Mm, yeah, it may not be an evaluation <laughs> criteria as of today's date, but I'm going to be really, really hard pressed to see how that's not going to be a considering factor. Yeah, in, in right. The process. It goes back to your point about the communications. Exactly. How do you communicate to the business executives? Yeah, and and I would imagine for our listeners, this seems overwhelming. But as you said, Carter, it's it's how to eat an elephant one bite at a time, and. It is a long road to um, understand exactly what you need to do uh, to do it cost effectively. Yep. Um, and but it's not impossible. It, and it, I think as long as people are willing to take that first step, there are people like you, like us, that can hold hands and walk them down this path to achieving what they're trying to achieve. It, it does not have to be expensive. It can take time, but it just takes commitment. I would say that it's a lot more, if you look at costs just in terms of dollars versus level of effort, level of effort is going to be far more intensive than than how much of a check you're going to write. That's right. And to your point with regards to organizations that are out there that have the the past performance, they have the knowledge and the understanding of being able to help companies in these capacities is going to be essential towards their successful implementation of the program. Uh, If you have business owners that are trying to address um, the scorecard for Spurs or are trying to address their own system security plan, again, it's not necessarily their fault, but they don't know what they don't know. And if you have people that don't have any background experience doing what is called an ATO process, an authority to operate process, you're probably at best 
only going to have half of a half of a good picture of what the certifying organizations, the C3PEOs, are actually going to be looking for. There right. is actually now, and it's publicly available. It's made available through um, the Department of Defense, the Assessor's Guide for Levels One and Three, which are subject to change. We've been told that there have been some changes that are in in process right now. So an organization, an individual business owner could look at that and try to decrypt it. But again, <laughs> I would say that that would be no different than myself, who is not a CPA, looking at an IRS regulation and being able to say, oh, I got that. I understand that. Well, you get lost in government it, speak it, there. Yeah, yeah. It, exactly. So, but it well, is Carter, part of the ecosystem, like you said earlier. You know, yeah. it is just building that ecosystem and finding the right parties to continue together as a partnership and collaboratively to build this program for the customer. Uh, agree, one hundred percent. And also, one of the challenges that we consistently see, I would say, especially for companies, I would probably say right around. 100 to 150 employees is kind of like that mark where they do not have a dedicated resource to act as a clearly defined separation of duty. And so for organizations that can provide consultative services, whether it is a virtual chief information security officer um, service offering, or actually with what Soundway has, which we actually call a separation of duties service offering, which is depicted on our corporate website, we actually highlight seven specific practices that can be outsourced to a trusted party that allows the organization to focus on what they want to focus on, the nature of their business versus right. what I call the cyber tedium. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> that we, 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 we'll put that into our podcast to have our, listen, our audience to take a look at that. So. Well, Carter, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. I appreciate your time to to talk about CMMC. I'm sure we could talk for hours about this topic. Uh, and uh, absolutely, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to be able to um, speak with both of you. And I sincerely hope that your listeners are taking advantage of what we've covered here today, and hopefully, walk out with a little bit of a better understanding of what their corporate liability exposure might look like beyond CMMC. That's right. Well, great. Thank you, Carter. Carter Schoenberg, you, Carter. Chief Secu Cybersecurity Officer for Soundway Consulting. Again, I'm Sean Mahoney with Stanley Lee with NetSwitch. If you want to learn out more about what we do, you can visit us at NetSwitch, N-E-T-S-W-I-T-C-H dot net. Thanks. We'll talk to you again Thanks, soon. Carter. Thank you, gentlemen. Take care. <laughs>